Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with a heart fixed upon the Lord as we pick up in Psalm chapter 112, verse 5. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. And there are some people who live in constant fear of the evil tidings that might come. There are some people whose hearts aren't really fixed. It isn't a true commitment. It isn't a full commitment. It made a partial commitment of their lives to God. Part of them serves the Lord. Part of them serves the flesh. They love the Lord partly. And because of that, they are very unstable in their walk. And they're fearful. But the man who has fixed his heart, trusting in the Lord, I know that come what may, the Lord is with me. I know that come what may, the Lord is going to protect me. I know that the Lord is watching out over me. I know the Lord loves me. I may not understand what's happening in the circumstances surrounding my life, but I know that God loves me and I know that God's going to see me through. I know that God has allowed it for a purpose. I know that it would not have happened unless God allowed it to happen. And because he allowed it to happen, he has a purpose in it's happening and thus he's going to bring good out of it, though I may not see it now. And because I fixed my heart in commitment to God Come what may, you don't fear for calamity that may fall tomorrow. You don't fear for what may come because you know that whatever comes is brought to you by the hand of God. I belong to him. Satan cannot get to me except he come through the Lord. And Therefore, trusting in the Lord, my heart is fixed on him. I have great confidence in life. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid. He shall see his desire upon his enemies. He hath dispersed, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endureth forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. Now, in contrast to this righteous man, the wicked shall see it and be grieved. The wicked will gnash with his teeth and melt away. See, the righteous will endure forever. But the wicked will gnash and melt away. The desire of the wicked, rather than being granted, will perish. So you have a psalm that deals with God's blessed man, and then the final verse being a contrast to it with the wicked man. Psalm 1 has the same contrast. Oh, how happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands the way of sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law doth he meditate day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bringing forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. Whatsoever he do shall prosper. Now, the wicked are not so. See the contrast. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Again, you have much said about the righteous, but then the contrast with the wicked. And this is poetry in the mind of the Hebrew. The poetry comes in the contrasting of the thought. Now, in our minds, we're geared for poetry coming in rhyme and in rhythm. So you get a rhythm going and it rhymes. And, and I 
particularly like the Robert Service type of poetry where you rhyme two lines and every third line is in the rhyme. And uh, there are others. Um, the first line, the first and third, no, the first and fourth lines rhyme and the two in between rhyme. Longfellow's Ode to Life. Tell me not in mournful numbers, life is but an empty dream, for the soul is dead that slumbers. Things are not what they seem. No, it's every other one in his. Life is real, life is earnest, and the grave is not thy goal. Dust thou art to dust returneth, was not spoken of thy soul. But then Robert's service, uh, there are strange things done neath the midnight sun by the men who toil for gold. The Arctic trails hold their secret tales that make your blood run cold. The northern lights have seen queer sights, but the queerest they ever did see was the night on the marge of the Lake LaBarge when I cremated Sam McGee. You know? And uh, so that, that constitutes poetry to us. There's the rhythm. There's the rhyme. But to the Hebrew, the poetry was in the thought. And it was either in a compounding of a thought or the contrasting of a thought. So you take a thought and you begin to compound it. The ways of the Lord are perfect. The ways of the Lord are to be sought out. The ways of the Lord, and you are compounding on the thought. Or you take contrasting thought. The way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked. The way of the godly, but the way of the ungodly. And so the contrasting of thought to the Hebrew mind is poetry. There's no rhyme, there's no rhythm. And so we wouldn't call it poetry ourselves. But to them, that is what constitutes poetry, not the rhyming of a sentence, or, or not the rhythm, but the, the thought itself. They find the beauty of poetry in the thought itself. So after all of these things about the blessed man, then you get the contrast in the final verse, but the wicked shall see it. And in contrast to the righteous, he will be grieved, he'll gnash with his teeth, he'll melt away, he'll perish. Psalm 113 begins and ends with hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of Yahweh. Blessed be the name of the Lord, or blessed be the name Yahweh, from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, Yahweh's name is to be praised. So you see, again, here is a compounding of thought with, with poetry. The compounding of the idea of praising the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from the rising of the sun and so forth. And this to them is beautiful poetry because you're compounding the thought and the idea. Yahweh is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens. And again, even in that, the contrast, above the nations, above the heavens. Who is like unto Yahweh our God who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth? He raiseth up the poor out of the dust. He lifts the needy out of the dunghill. Then he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. He makes the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Hallelujah. And so the psalmist just 
exulting over God. Now, Psalm 114 is a little psalm that recalls the deliverance of the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. When Israel went out of Egypt and the house of Jacob from the people of strange language, Judah was his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. The sea saw it and fled, that is, the Red Sea, which parted for them. Jordan was driven back. The waters of Jordan were stopped that they might come into the land. The mountains skipped like rams and the little hills like lambs. There were earthquakes, actually. The walls of Jericho destroyed by earthquakes and so forth. The mountains skipping like rams, the little hills like lambs. And then the psalmist, now recalling, you know, the sea and the Jordan, the mountains, he said, what ailed you, O thou sea, that you fled? Thou Jordan, that you were driven back. Ye mountains, that you skip like rams, and you little hills like lambs. Tremble, thou earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, which turned the rock into a standing water, the flint into the fountain of waters, a reference to the flinty rock that Moses struck from which God gave them water in the wilderness. Psalm 115, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to thy name give glory. Here again we have the same idea. Don't reverend me. Not unto us, Lord, not unto us, but to thy name let there be ascribed glory and reverence and all. For thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Why should the heathen say, where is now their God? A lot of times people do say that. They say, well, where was your God when, you know? What happened to your God then, pal? You know. Why should the heathen say, where is their, now their God? Our God is in the heavens. He has done whatsoever he hath pleased. I need to remember that. He's done what he has pleased. May not please me, but that isn't what's important. Now, referring again to the heathen, their idols, our God is in the heavens. He rules. But their idols are silver and gold. They are the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have noses, but they don't smell. They have hands, but they cannot handle. They have feet, but they cannot walk, and neither do they speak through their throats. They that make them are like unto them, and so is everyone that trusteth in them. Now, here is a philosophy expressed by the psalmist that is extremely profound as he observes the heathens and their gods. And the first observation that he makes is that men have a tendency to make their own God. Men has an innate desire to worship. And having this innate desire to worship having to worship something, 
Men make their own gods. But when a man makes a god, he makes his god like himself. So that my god is in reality a projection of myself. So in truth, I am actually worshiping myself. Self-worship. For he notices that when they make their gods, they carve mouths. They carve eyes. They carve ears. They carve feet and hands. Why do you carve hands on your little god? Because you have hands. Why do you carve a mouth? Because you have a mouth. Why do you carve ears? Because you have an ear. When we were over in New Guinea, the missionaries told us of a tribe of people who have a congenital hip dislocation. And this whole tribe of people, it's a congenital thing, they all have a deformity of their right leg, which is shorter than their left through this congenital hip problem. And they said that all of the little gods that this particular tribe carve out have a deformed right leg because a man makes a god like himself, a projection of myself. It is known as the anthropomorphic concept of God, widely recognized. Man makes gods like himself. But then the psalmist observed that though a man has made a god like himself, he has actually made his god infinitely less than himself. Because though I may carve eyes on my little God, the eyes on my little God can't see. Though I may carve feet on my little God, they can't walk. Though I may carve uh, hands on it, it can't handle. Though I may carve ears on it, it can't hear. Though I may carve a mouth on it, it can't speak. So I've made a God like myself, but in reality, I have made my God less than myself. And the final observation of the psalmist is, they that have made them have become like the gods that they have made. Or, a man becomes like his God. This is a truth of life that you cannot escape. You are becoming like your God, whatever your God is. A man becomes like his God. Now, if I have made my own God like myself, but I've made my God less than myself, then by worshiping the God that I have made, I am degrading myself. I am becoming less than I was because I'm becoming like my God. And my God is less than me because I've made my God like myself, but actually less than myself. So my God is insensate. It can't feel, it can't see, it can't hear. I become insensate. I no longer can feel the presence of God. I can no longer feel the touch of God. I can no longer see the hand of God. I can no longer hear the voice of God. I'm becoming insensate just like the little God that I made. For a man becomes like his God. If your God is false, you are becoming false. If your God is Cruel, you're becoming cruel. 
a man becomes like his God. That can be the greatest curse in all the world. Or it can be the greatest blessing in all the world. It's all relative as to who is your God. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we're going to be, but we know that when He appears, we're going to be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. You see, a man becomes like his God. We, with open face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed from glory to glory into His same image. I'm becoming like my God every day. And if I am worshiping the true and the living God, how glorious it is as I am being transformed into his image daily as I worship him. Man becomes like his God. Now, the New Testament tells us we are now the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we're going to be. We know when he appears we'll be like him. So you have actually in one side of it, man making a God like himself, infinitely less than himself, and thus man being degraded as he worships his God. On the other hand, you have God making a man more than himself, more than man could ever be in himself. And thus the worship of the true and the living God is always an elevating experience as God is conforming you into his image making you like him. Now, I've either made a God like me or God is making me like him. You're in one of the two. You're either on the path down or the path up. Every man has a God. Don't believe a man who says, I'm an atheist. Because a God is only a title, and it is the title of what is the master passion of that person's life. What's the guiding principle of his life? Watch him for a while, and you can see. Maybe the guiding passion of his life is pleasure, and his whole life is lived for pleasure. Molech is his God. Maybe his whole life is lived for power, and he's trying to control things, money, possessions, and all. And mammon is his God. Maybe he's trying to develop his intellect, and the... the expansion of his consciousness and his understanding and all, and he's made this the chief goal of life, then Baal is his God. Every man has a God. Some of the rather worthless gods, but gods indeed. But how good it is to worship and serve the true and the living God, not one that I've created in my own mind, not a concept that I have created, but to take the revelation of God of himself to us and to worship the true and the living God. So interesting observations from the psalmist here concerning the heathen and their gods. O Israel, trust thou in Jehovah, for he is your help and your shield. O house of Aaron, trust in Jehovah, he is your help and your shield. Ye that reverence Jehovah, trust in Jehovah, for he is their help and their shield. Jehovah hath been mindful, and of course here again compounding, O Israel, Aaron, and ye that fear the Lord, uh, it's, it's a compounding of the idea of Hebrew poetry. The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He'll bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. Same compounding with the blessings now. The Lord shall increase you more and more and your children. You are blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. 
The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of man. The heavens were the Lord's, but God gave the earth to man. But man blew it and gave it to Satan. And Satan now possesses the earth. But Jesus came to redeem the earth back to God. And before long, he's going to take and claim that which he purchased. And I can hardly wait. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. Now, this is one of this proof texts for soul sleep, but I don't have to, time to go into it tonight. We'll go into it when we get to Ecclesiastes, uh, where the Scripture definitely teaches that there is a consciousness. This is the psalmist expressing a thought of his own mind, and it is much like Job, where God said, what do you... You know, what are you talking about death? You haven't been beyond the gates of hell. You don't know what's there. And you're talking out of your head. And so here the psalmist is speaking of things which are not in keeping with the whole body of Scripture which tells us of, of the state of the dead and especially the words of Christ. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth forevermore. Hallelujah. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse -verse Bible study in the book of Psalms on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Psalms 112 through 115 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is the Word for Today. P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse -verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you now and fill you with his love and keep you out of the hype of man that you lose not sight of God and the things of the Spirit. But may more and more we become spiritually minded and may we walk in the Spirit that we will not be guilty of fulfilling the desires of our own flesh. May the Lord be with you now and bless and keep you in the love of Jesus Christ. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Sometimes it's difficult to know what to say or how to help someone who is going through a recent death in the family or a sudden tragedy that's happened. And it's in times like this that we want to be used by God to bring encouragement, hope, and most of all, love to our family and friends who are going through a hardship. That's why I'd like to tell you about a book by Chuck Smith called When the Storm Hits. I'm amazed when I read this book 
that it's able to encourage and strengthen a person and persuade them to look to Jesus and not at their problem. It encourages us to be patient, not to lose hope, and when the storm hits, to get anchored on Jesus, the rock, and don't let go. To order a copy of Chuck Smith's book, When the Storm Hits, please call the word for today at 800-272-9673. Or you can visit us online to read a preview of the book by visiting thewordfortoday.org.